You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Greetings. This is a message from Dr. Alan Honlove of the Good Catch Institute. The weather is getting colder, and you're still desperately one-hanging your fall project. Or maybe you've decided to do something easier, but more miserable, like ice climbing. Isn't it time to renew your commitment to your belayer with something more than an occasional high-five? Good Catch is here to help you reinvigorate the foundation of what brought you and your belayer together in the first place. Our expert staff here at Good Catch suggests that you create a safe, warm space for your belayer with the belay parka and stance belay pants combo from our friends at Black Diamond Equipment. The BD belay parka features two layers of insulation, a two-way zipper for wrapping that belay device, and huge internal pockets where your belayer can keep your shoes warm for your next go. The stance belay pants bring the heat with side zips to get in and out even with crampons on. Being wrapped in the BD belay parka and stance belay pants create the feeling of a warm hug from a trusted loved one without the actual human touch that might, you know, give your belayer the wrong idea. But nothing says, Uh, dude, I'm just going to try this part one more time. Like some bomber insulated outerwear from Black Diamond Equipment. Check it all out at blackdiamondequipment.com or your favorite local shop. And remember, if you are cold, they're freezing their ass off. Hanging out with the family over the holidays reminded me that, in fact, there are people out there who think about more than just climbing. Some even think that climbing is ridiculous. Though watching large men kicking and throwing a ball and trying to hurt one another is a completely reasonable use of your time. Go figure. But just in case non-climbing activities have invaded your psyche, but you still want to do, not just watch, remember that in addition to making the best rock climbing, ice climbing, and mountaineering boots on the planet, Sportiva also designs the fastest uphill ski gear around. We're talking cyborg-level tech on skis and boots. And then there's Sportiva's trail runners, mid-weight alpine boots, and hiking boots for the long approach to nowhere that suddenly seems like a good idea in the dark winter months when the balmy rock is unavailable, but lots of delicious sweets are. So whether you're dreaming about climbing or just trying to go nowhere fast, think of Sportiva for all your mountain pursuits. Go to Sportiva.com or your local shop to drink in the possibilities. And hey, the redesigned TC Pro is over there too. Did you know that those two little lines on the cuff are the Dawnwall and Freerider topos? So adorable. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the uh, Enormo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, the big place. That's, it out. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a frayed end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. 
Hello and welcome to the Normacast. This is your host, Chris Galoose. It is January 18th, 2022, and it's about 10 a.m. here in Colorado. And this is episode 234 of the Enormalcast, and we have Belgian climber Siba Van Hey. And this is a rare, timely episode of the Enormalcast. I usually record them and archive them and not worry about when they come out because we don't really always talk about things that are timely. But this time, I'm right in the mix. Siba's in Yosemite and is trying the Dawn Wall. As we speak, he might be literally slipping off of a tiny foothold right now. It might have just happened. I might have just caused it, actually. Butterfly effect. Anyway, they're up there on the wall. Him and Sebastian Britt are both up there trying the Dawn Wall. And actually, according to uh, Siba, getting their asses kicked a little bit. But more on that later. And this one's sort of fun. There's some background noise because Siba is in the cafeteria, or right outside the cafeteria, around the cafeteria, I couldn't tell, in Yosemite, at the Yosemite Lodge, the infamous calf where climbers while away the hours spraying instead of climbing. So if you've never been there and experienced that, you're going to feel it right now. You can hear people talking in the background, dishes clanking, a kid at one point making a lot of noise. It gives us some atmosphere. So if you want the full effect, before you continue listening, go get a down jacket that hasn't been washed in several years. Put some dirt under your fingernails. Make yourself a pot of the weakest coffee you've ever drank. Overcook some eggs and then go find a bathroom stall and linger in there for a really long time because turns out that bathroom stall is literally about 60 degrees warmer than your tent was this morning. Ah, okay, you're ready to listen now. So back to Siba. He was super gracious in getting this done. He kind of insisted we we get it done even though I had suggested maybe we wait till he was somewhere more stable, but uh, he figured it out. And then we had some internet trouble downloading the interview because I actually use a program that records it locally and then downloads the file, but he couldn't get it downloaded. So he spent a lot of the rest of the day trying to figure that out, even though they were also gearing up to go up on the wall for three days. Siba's totally processed, so he attacked the problem. Much like Kevin Jorgensen attacked pitch 14 on the Dawn Wall, and he finally sent the file. And then they got up on El Cap. Thanks, Siba, for your dedication. Okay, not much else to talk about, although I'm going to be at the URA Ice Fest in a couple days for a few minutes. But that's sort of irrelevant because this will probably get into your ears after that. However, maybe I saw you. Maybe we said hi. Maybe we drank a beer together. I certainly hope so. But we did not ice climb together. That's your thing. It's not my thing. Your thing. You can have it. Makes us different, and that's okay. All right, let's get to the interview with Siba Van Hey. You're beaming in from uh, the Yosemite Lodge, which is super cool um, that that we're getting this done that way. And um, I appreciate you um, sort of insisting that we do it. Yeah, there was actually a reason. In in my travel life, there was never really a perfect opportunity to do things like this. So I just wanted 
do it whenever, you know. So and now I found a little moment, so why not? So yeah, I'm actually, just for the two last weeks I arrived in Yosemite, or, or even a week actually, but the two last weeks I've been in the United States. I've spent a week in San Francisco with my girlfriend. We bought a van. We searched for a van because we we're planning to stay here for quite a few months. The main goal here is, is, uh, is um, a, a very famous route on El Capitan, a very, uh, <laughs> very famous route uh, named Downwall. And, um, Never heard of I'm it. I'm going to climb it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's strange. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's famous, but at the same time, it's in this weird kind of community of dirtbag climbers. It's famous, not in the real, not in the real media or something. Right. So no, yeah, it's it's been a while that I've been dreaming about climbing bigger and harder multi-pitch walls and multi-pitch routes, and I've done quite a lot in in Europe in the last few, the last two or three years. I've done quite of the quite a bit of the hard stuff there, and why wow, it's so exciting. This was just the next step. Just coming and try out the downhill. <laughs> yeah, and I've been I've been very lucky to find a, to find a good partner for that. He actually had the same idea. It was it was in mind for for, for even longer as it was in my mind. I think it's only the last two years that I've been doing a lot of these hard mill pitches. So for me, it's another thing. So I was really excited when he said like, "Oh, I want to go for the downhill." I'm like, "Fuck, this might be the perfect opportunity to join him." And we've done a lot of good stuff together in in, in Europe. By the way, I didn't tell his name yet. It's uh, Sebastian Bert. He's, uh, he's also a fellow Belgian climber. Uh, he's two years younger than me. I'm 30. He's 28. Yeah, I've been seeing him uh, in the climbing community since, since we both were 10, 12 years old, climbing competitions together and, uh, in Belgium, but also European uh, international competitions. So, um, yeah, we know each other for quite a while already. And in the last few years, we've done a few projects together and I think it goes really well. I got I got a lot of big walling expedition experience, and and he's a fucking strong climber with a great vision and an incredible strong head and mentality. And I think together we make a great team to to tackle uh, goals like this. So well, yeah. I mean, yeah, and you're both you're both experienced. Um, you know, you've done El Corazon, uh, on El Cap, and then. Uh, Sebastian's uh, freed the nose, which puts him in a very small group, and uh, yeah. I believe he did it ground up, which uh, is puts him in a, I think, a group all by himself. Actually, um, exactly. Yeah, and, you know, and that that's actually becoming this this very rare thing this this idea of ground up and and not coming in from above and rehearsing. So let me ask you guys about some of your strategies and 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 kind of what you're trying to get done. First of all, are you the kind of guy who wants you know, all the beta, get in touch with Tommy, get in touch with, with whoever you can to, to get all the beta, or do you like coming in with a little bit less information and, and uh, you know, just looking up and, and trying to figure it out for yourself? I think I, I'm normally more of this the second kind of guy, second kind of climber. I always, mm-hmm. I like preparation. I love to prepare. I love to get everything ready. I'm, I'm a bit of a control freak quite often <laughs> as a climber, but nonetheless, it's quite funny, but I, I'm a bit of like procrastinating in searching for beta and information. I'm always very late in like contacting people just in the last two days or something before leaving on a big trip or I know I, it's just when I, it's really necessary then I'm like doing it. So in generally, i just throw myself in these kind of challenges because the downwall is a really big challenge and, and maybe a bit above my head. I don't know. We'll, we'll see in the next weeks. We kind of had to prepare a little bit better. 
we called Tommy after the first day we went on the wall, so not, not, it wasn't really preparation anymore. Yeah, so so we called Tommy, we asked him for some beta, for some gear beta. We He just hung up the phone and was like, you know, figure it out for yourself. Figure it out for yourself. I had to do it during <laughs> seven years, <laughs> you little Belgian. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm sure More he was less. great. <laughs> no, he was, ama- he was amazing. It was hard to get a hold of him, though. It was only in the, until the last day that we said, like, hey, look, we're here. We were on the wall already that, uh, that we really got a hold of him. So it was pretty nice. And what's your, what's your guys' strategy? Sort of lay out how you're approaching it um, at the moment. Our strategy and our biggest dream and our ethics were, like, let's go ground up straight away, mm-hmm. hauling for three weeks, all the gear, all the water, all the food, and just make our way up slowly. You know, don't fix lines or nothing. Just go up with the whole, with the whole team. You know, I mean, we have um, two friends that are filming and taking pictures as well. So that was the plan. But then we arrived and we're like, hmm, let's think about this. This is a really hard wall. This is really hard to get up on the first pitches. Let's just go and do a day of like getting used to it. And so we fixed lines in the last three days up to pitch ten right now. And um, from tomorrow, we will be on the wall for the next uh, three days again. So now we'll go ground up and we're going to check out the crux pitches a little bit, work those. Then we probably come down again, take a few rest days, and then we go up again for three to four days to try to uh, make it up to the top. And it's not for a cent yet. I mean, let's see how it goes, but until now it doesn't look promising. It's, it's, it's really hard to get up the ropes just to the anchors because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's not bolted or something. The, the, the AB plus, like the 14B, 14Cs are, are just, yeah, you have, to, you have to already do some aid climbing, putting in some peckers. It's really hard to get up the rope into the anchor <laughs> already. So our strategy, our, we, we, we felt that we have to change our strategy a little bit. It's, it's so much harder than we had imagined, I think that we have to put aside some, some ethical, some values that we have, like go full on, ground up, you know. I think, I, think, uh, I think that would have been way too hard. We would have been camping on the second pitch, I think, <laughs> on the first <All> right. day. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, That's, it's always uh, about just, um, you know, finding a way to, to reconcile the two things when you're faced with, uh, you know, just the realities and the logistics of it all. And and the other thing is that, um, you know, this whole like, okay, we go and we come and we free climb El Cap in January these days, I think was a, I mean, obviously it was a precedent set by the first ascent in a lot of ways, but you know, we do, we just, you guys just missed this like massive storm. One of the biggest storms in a long time, actually in the Sierras. And, you know, it's like, you can't necessarily count on like 17, 18 days of great weather, which is actually what Tommy somehow managed to pull off you know just by the the grace of the gods mm-hmm. so i think that yeah it's it's you know watch the watch the Donwall movie and it seems like yeah it's just sunny and nice the entire time in january in yosemite but that's not actually the truth so um the weather can always play this huge factor in it as well so that's really good that you mentioned that actually that that had a big impact on our strategy as well we arrived just after that huge storm yosemite is still full of snow uh, I don't think you see it. You see it a little bit behind me here on the screen, but it's still full of snow. And yeah, Tommy really warned us several times for the icefall, like like the big missiles like flying besides your head, you know, like try hitting the portal edges and everything. But we've been lucky until now. Since the first day, we haven't seen any ice falling. 
So I think the storm, I think we were just just on time, just after the storm. I think it had some days to dry out. The, the ice fell already. Yeah, now we hope that uh, the next storm is, is staying away for a while. <laughs> so, and then the biggest reason we come in January is, is definitely because, yeah, El Cap is known for being really, really hot, even in the good right. season, you know, even in spring and in, in fall, November, December, even people say it can be so hot in the sun. So you have to climb at night um, or really early in the morning with the headlamps. Uh, and now we thought like, okay, let's let's go in January. Let's when it's really freezing, when it's really cold in Camp Four. It's it's what what is it? It's like it must be minus five at night uh, degrees Celsius. So um, yeah, it's freezing. But then on the wall, honestly, I've I've put sunscreen on every day. Uh, it's super hot. We climb in t-shirts. It's actually too hot to really perform right now. We, we also need to climb in the in the dark or in the shade at least. Yeah, I mean, it's just about, like, especially the footwork, it's just about how technical it all becomes and, and that coefficient between the rubber and the rock just has to work on that type of climbing. Aside from what your fingertips are doing, um, I feel like it's the footwork uh, that has to have the right, like, temperature um, because of what you have to stand on when you're climbing that kind of climbing at those grades. Exactly. Also, that has been really hard in the last three days i i'm not gonna lie about it maybe we've been arrogant of thinking like oh let's come and try this downwall ground up and but uh we've we've got our ass kicked really hard like um for me i've been in belgium i haven't touched granite so much anymore in the last uh in the last two three months then sep sep came by boat he crossed the ocean the atlantic by sailboat fair means you know he, he in an ecological way um nice. and he didn't climb much he didn't do much mileage either and we just came into the valley and the next we prepared our bags and the next day we were on the downwall so um i can assure you assure you we got our ass kicks kicked and it's mainly has to do with the technique you know trying to trust the feet the slick granite here in yosemite and then the temperature as well you know the morning was really good 13 a's we did and it was really nice and then as soon as the sun hit we we almost didn't move anymore. We get, it was really, it was really difficult. So there's many, many factors actually that has an impact on on our style and our ethics as well. Mm-hmm. So um, it's also about open mind. You know, it, it's one the one thing to sort of like try as best you can to ho- hold yourself to these standards. But you know, learning and 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 creating new things, you have to sort of have this open mind. And you know, I admire anyone who's sticking so hard to ethics that they shut themselves down. But um, I also admire, you know, climbers with open minds and, and also humility, which you just expressed, uh, which is that, you know, this, this is, you know, we're, we're not joking around here and this, this is, you know, this is a serious business and it's going to be super hard and, and admitting, like you said, that you may have been a little bit, uh, um, you know, full of yourself over there in Europe before you got here, you know, is, is a big part of, I think, pushing through and learning something if, if nothing else. Yeah. Nonetheless, I think this is, the best thing I, the best decision I could have done. I think a few years ago, when I was younger, I was even too like insecure, and I would never say like, "Oh, I'll go and try the downwall." You know, of course, I'm more experienced. I've done a bit more harder climbs in, in that style. Um, but um, yeah, I think I think that's the way you to push yourself. You know, you have to try stuff maybe above your head or just on your limit. It sometimes you don't know until you try, and that's the that's the whole thing. A few years ago, I would have been just too scared to go and try (laughs) 
I would have never done this podcast either and telling about it because it can all go to <laughs> shit, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally understand. And it's, you know, it's it's interesting because I, you know, I follow your social media and a lot of times, especially with the guests I've had on who are traveling, I, I kind of am stalking them on, on the internet, you know, to see, oh, they're here in the States, like, because I used to do these all face to face and um, I'm, glad I, I'm glad I don't anymore because we wouldn't have been able to get this done. But um, it's funny because I was like, okay, he's in San Francisco. I knew it was like absolutely dumping, you know, in the Sierras. And, it, you know, you had these kind of posts about being there and buying a van. I'm like, if he's going to Yosemite, man, he's kind of host. Like, and that's literally like I was like, well, he's probably got some time on his hands if he's just like waiting for the snow to melt. Um, and that's literally why I was like, well, maybe he has time to do a podcast. <laughs> Um, but of course yeah, now yeah. you're actually busy and you're, you're on a rest day and you're in between trying to get, get ready to go up the, up El Cap. But, um, but that was like my serious thought. I'm like, yeah, he's kind of hosed right now. He's kind of stuck probably. Cause it's like, I mean, they were yeah. getting records level of, of snow in the, in the mountains. So, um, you're probably like a little despondent. So maybe, <laughs> maybe it was best we waited <laughs> until you actually got to El Cap to talk. Yeah. 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 Otherwise I would be too depressed. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what should i talk about god damn it i'm stuck in san francisco without a van <laughs> you're stuck in san, san francisco talking to people about buying a used van which must have been miserable yeah. as well so uh, what'd you end up getting oh, yeah. we got a ford econo line heavy duty it says or something or super duty i just thought yep. it was sounded cool so i bought that thing um <laughs> I'm not going to buy a Sprinter, you know, like we have yeah. Sprinters in Belgium. We don't have this yeah. Ford Monsters here or, or Chevy Vans <laughs> or something. Or DMG it sounds all my, sounds all so cool. All right. Well, the Econoline <laughs> was the original Sprinter. So as far as climbers were concerned, so, um, you know, and, and uh, Honnold drove an Econoline for years. You're good. You're, you're in, in oh, I think it was wow. anyway. But yeah, those things were OG. Those are OG. So well done. Come into the States and get one of those instead of a Sprinter. Um, <laughs> plus, I'm sure it was a lot less expensive. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's. But, I mean, I could buy a house in France if I wanted with that money that I would spend on a Sprinter in, in the US. Jeez. So are you going to house it here and come and go from, from the van? Or are you here now for several months? I guess just several months and then sell it again. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want okay, to cool. fly fly up and down too much either. Um well let's uh let's move off from the from the the Dawn Wall to a little bit more about you in general and your climbing in general. I watched um for the second time actually, I watched Notes from the Wall, which is a a film you made with Nico Favres and and uh Sean Villanueva with Driscoll about climbing down in Patagonia. I kind of would like a frame a little bit of a conversation around that film because you know, I also read about your Getting into climbing, you know, you were a pretty typical gym rat. Your parents, you know, put you in a camp or a class or something where you ended up climbing and, and fell in love with it and then pursued indoor climbing for five, six, seven years, also dabbling in outdoor sport climbing. And so I, I see this that film and what you did down in Patagonia as kind of like, it, it, at least it was sort of set as sort of a graduation. I mean, you were you were on this wall with these two veterans. You were you were you know clearly like at the 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 limits of your elements i think in the film um so i, I kind of wanted to talk about that arc like what you know did you see that that ascent and climbing with those guys as as something of a of a realization of a dream or a realization of, of a place that you had been wanting to get to coming from that you know 
little kid who was who was a who was a gym climber or how did you um you know how did you sort of process that experience after that climb was over and maybe tell us a little bit about the climb as well yeah that's really nice you ask about that because it's really a very very important moment in my climbing life already like it's been really incredible to climb with Sean and Nico on that wall and it was very impulsive no preparation uh, had never been in, in Patagonia I didn't even know in December that I was going to go. And in January, I was on a wall uh, for 19 days. So it was very, like, like unexpected. But, but on the other hand, I really wanted to go to Patagonia for years already. So that was in 2017. And I think in 2013 was the first time I was, like, trying to go. But then I had my studies. I had other obligations in Belgium. So I couldn't really find a, find a time to go. Neither the money. I didn't have the money either. So, um yeah, so it was a really big dream. On the other hand, like you said, I was a gym rat. And as a person, I've always been uh, not looking into the future that far. I've always been really looking into the future like a year or two years. I've never had big, big dreams or there were big dreams and then they changed again. And, and if I had big dreams, they were within one or two years and I fulfilled them right then you know they were not never that big from like yeah, in 10 years i want to have climbed uh, uh, this route you know in patagonia or i want to have climbed the down wall or something i've been having like objectives always very short term and that's a i think that's a strength sometimes also a weakness <laughs> but patagonia with sean and nico was something as a kid i, I wouldn't dream about or something i was just like i want to climb 9a plus i want to i want to be the best in competition climbing and then afterwards, I want to do really hard uh, crack climbs. I want to do cobra crack. I want to do only crack climbing anymore. That was for for yeah, a period of five, six years that I was completely into crack climbing and, and not, not especially big walling or something. And then, yeah, I think uh, I did a few big walls and, and, and longer multi-pitches. And, and then, yeah, then the guys, uh, yeah, I wanted to go to Patagonia. I asked John. He didn't know he was if he was going to go or not. Um, and then... Two weeks before we left, he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm coming. And then he convinced Nico to come as well one week before we left. And then we all, we all went. And those guys had climbed the South African on the, the Torre Central, the, the, on the east face of the central tower of the Torres del Paine. And they've seen this line on the left, um, the line that was called uh, Regalo de Mono, uh, an old eight line, but like a perfect splitter from the, from the beginning to the top almost but very thin, actually like the South African, but, but, but smaller and thinner. And sometimes it looked, like, looked blank. So it looked incredibly hard. It was graded A4 plus eight climb, I think, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a while already, so I'm, I'm, I'm uh, forgetting a bit. Yeah, so, so, the, so, so that thin line was in the, on their mind. And we actually, I just followed it. I'm like, okay, yeah, let's, let's go and do that thing. I was happy to go to, to Chalten as well in Argentina and to go climb on Fitzroy or on Cerretore. But Torres del Paine looked incredible. So, um, yeah, I was, I was sold straight away. And a funny little anecdote before talking about the movie is that I finished my studies in 2016 and I was traveling with my van at the end of 2016 and I had no money. I spent, like, on gas and food and everything around 300 euros per month. And I was in La Pedrisa, this, this granite climbing area around, um, around Madrid. 
I was climbing there for a month and staying at a friend's place. And I was really, I was really almost, I was really broke. So I was like on the internet, I was looking for a job for January, 2017 in Belgium. I was looking for this, uh, any kind of job, like in a shop or, or, or carpenter or whatever. Um, and I was subscribing into this, uh, we call it interim, interim offices, like offices that search work for you, you know, and they take a percentage mm -hmm. of, of what you earn. And I was subscribing and subscribing. I'm like, fuck, I have no money. And I, that was a time before I was paid as a, as a professional athlete. And, um, and then there was, was this team manager from the North Face. Uh, I, was, so I, was, I was in Madrid searching for a job during one week on the internet. And suddenly I received this email. Hey, Siba, we got uh, a couple of thousand of euros for you for this year, like an annual retainer uh, we want to give you. And I was like, whoa, fuck yeah. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take that money and I'll just book my flights to Patagonia. And that's, I did that straight away, you know, they paid me. And, and I was so happy. I was so incredibly happy. I like, I canceled all those interim offices. Like, no, no, I don't want any work. Don't want any work. And I booked my ticket and I flew um, and I went with Sean and Nico straight away. Like, that's why it was also, I mean, I think at Christmas, I didn't even know I was going. And then the end of December 28th or something, I, we planned to go. So it was really incredible. It was uh I was very excited. So it was it was even it was even better than 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 preparing for for months and months in a row for this big trip. It was just it was just so nice, yeah. And then about Regalo the Mono itself. Yeah, for me it was it was I was I remember walking up to the base on the first uh the first days when we walked all our gear. You know Patagonia is always a lot of walking, a lot of hiking. We stayed in a cave below the wall. We had all right weather just enough to fix ropes in the first in the first uh on the first pitches and i remember that i got to climb the second pitch uh lead lead the second pitch and there was this this snow snow field because it was a slab and there was this big piece of like a snow field on the slab and i don't know i was climbing with big sean and nico you know the the, the warriors of, of 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 uh of big wall climbing so i I don't know, it was ego or testosterone or I don't know how you want to call it, but I'm like, I, I cannot be like scared or something. I should go. So I started like with my fists and my, my bare fists and my climbing shoes, just punching holes into the snow, always sliding a bit down on the slab, you know, and climbing up without any protection for so long. I'll never forget that moment until I'll get some protection in. And then I went on and then it started snowing and, and I'm like, oh yeah, it's, it's getting really cold now and it's getting really tough, the climbing conditions. But I'm with Nico and Sean. I should go on, you know, because <laughs> those guys are warriors. So I went on and on and I made a belay and those guys came up and they're like, hey, Siba, let's, let's go down. It's shit conditions. And I was like, what? What? I, I like <laughs> fight it so hard for this, you know, like, <laughs> you guys want to go down now? Like, yeah, man, it's really crazy. It's super cold. And... <laughs> So, um, so that was my first impression of climbing with, with Nico and Sean. The first impression I had from ha them, and then they from me. So it was actually, yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't know what their mindset was on this kind of walls right. yet. I had to learn, you know. So, but uh, of course, if I if they send me in the second pitch straight away, I I don't know what the mindset is yet. <laughs> that, that's super funny. They're probably down there just like this guy's fucking crazy. Like I don't know, I don't know if we <laughs> yeah. should keep going with him. Like. He's a little nuts. 
<laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I, I for sure pushed myself there. But at the same time, I loved it. I was in my comfort. I mean, I was out of my comfort zone. But ah, but um, yeah. And then, of course, like you say, that I that I that it looks that I'm suffering in the movie. I'm for sure suffering. Like I'm for sure <laughs> suffering more. Yeah, mentally mainly because because I'm I really yeah, have this perfectionism and I'm, I put the bar really high for myself. So if it's about like sending. I can really put myself a lot of pressure and there, I mean, of course I put, put myself a lot of pressure, but then if, if the conditions put pressure, if, if you're 19 days on a wall, if you don't have any food anymore and you need to send this pitch, it's crazy. You, I really wanted it. I wanted it so bad. And, and, and so it was, it meant everything for me at that moment. So, so yeah, every time I fall, of course I scream and, and I have a lot of rage and, and and there is a moment Nico is like, canalista en, like canalize your hate or your energy because uh, you're <laughs> to focus a bit more, you know. Um, and then I don't know. It was a it was a big lesson for me to to stay more calm, to relativize, to to just just laugh your way up instead of like always fight your way up. It's good to combine those two. But but if it's too much of, of one thing, it's if you laugh your way up, I think. You're not gonna get your way up all the way, if you mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> if you fight your way up only, it's, it's just not gonna be fun. So for me, that that trip was an incredible lesson, and in that point of view, maybe not just about climbing and my career or whatever, but just as a as a as a human being, I learned so much about it from those guys. They're both ten or eleven years older than me. Um, it were they're those veterans, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was really proud to be with them, to learn from them. Um, and then, honestly, what I've always said to my friends and, and what they've always, they also always said is that I didn't feel like minor to them or something in experience. I don't know. I felt mm-hmm. also I've done my own expeditions before without them. I built up to that moment as well. So I felt quite of, yeah, equal. Um, so that's uh, maybe people don't, didn't see that from from outside or something because of course those are very known but that was also really nice to be in an equal position in this same big challenge um that was really nice you know like i said i've seen the film twice and and as recently as this morning first of all i feel like it's a it's a pretty honest depiction of what's going on and um i feel like okay this is you know this is not like a selective edit to to sort of like show what themes we want to push home but you know, those guys clearly, it wasn't even about who was necessarily the better at what you were doing, but those guys, you know, you could feel that they're, you know, they were kind of playing this game with this sort of young gun who was like overstoking and, and they were trying to kind of like, I mean, you could feel it like, dude, you know, this is great. You're doing great. Like you're contributing, you know, you even have those conversations on the film. Um, and I could feel it, you know, I could totally feel how, you know, you had a little bit of, I mean, these guys are, you're, you know, you're, you're all Belgian, right? And it's like, it's, I mean, they're 10 years older than you. It's like, you know, your heroes leapt out of the posters and, and said, Hey, come with us on this expedition. And it must've been, you know, just an incredibly heady moment for you. Um, cause that's, I mean, those guys are, it's like, they're, they're, you know, like you said, they're the, the Alpine warriors, they're the big wall warriors. So um, I really enjoyed it. But I also, I also was like, God, this is, I mean, leading up to talking to you, I'm like, 
I think this is going to be, and it clearly is at this moment, but I mean, for the rest of your life, I think you'll, you'll find that that wall and climbing with those guys was, is going to be this fuel and this special moment that, that you'll think about, I mean, you know, for decades. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. I, I often come back and I make little comparisons with other challenges in life with that those 19 days on the wall with them. And it's nice what you say, like, they kind of had fun taking up this young gun on, on the wall. And um, yeah, and, and, and like you say, there's this funny con- conversation we have suddenly about um, contribute, contributing to, to the expedition. Yeah, it's 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 your search for meaning. You know, you wanna you wanna contribute to do the challenge. You don't wanna just be the one getting dragged along on a wall. You know, like you wanna free climb. You wanna push, do, help help on the push to the summit. You know, you wanna I don't know. You wanna be active on the in the camp, cooking, on preparing the bags, on calculating water, whatever. You know, you wanna mm-hmm. contribute, and I think it's a very human thing. Um, and it's something I've been searching in everything I do most of the time. And yeah, I don't know. I think those guys were very appreciative always. And I, I think that was really important for me, like having that support and, and also just seeing them in their flow, laughing, making music. Although I don't make any music, like it was, it was so much fun. Well, yeah, I mean, that's like a hallmark of, of at least all the media that they put out is just how much fun they're having. Um, and I, you know, I've always wondered like, cause I've, I've been on these long trips, you know, stuck on walls, all the same stuff. And like, I'm, you know, prone to all the different weaknesses of, of every human of, you know, getting into dark, angry moods and, you know, thinking we're all fucked and we're all going to die. And like all these different thoughts that you have when you're stuck up there. And I've always wondered if there'd be moments where I was, I'd be just like, you know, put the fucking mandolin away. Like, I can't do this. You guys are like too much for me. <laughs> Give me that yeah. thing and like huck it. But uh, anyway, <laughs> that's just me. That's like my own weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes you want it like, like let's accept that it's this serious and that I'm having a hard time. Okay. <laughs> right. Like, no more jokes. You know, it... <laughs> let's be serious now. And no more no, tin it's, whistle. It, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just, it's it's a style, and that's actually yeah. when you say that, that that that's their hallmark. For me, I also realized that I'm just different as well, and that was very nice as well. Because you look mm-hmm. up to your peers, and 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 you're gonna go and climb with them, and that was actually a main moment, a very important moment to just also realize that I'm just a different guy. I mm-hmm. I have different capacities different way of doing things of communicating about it of experiencing it and um i think i that trip made me accept that a little bit more instead of like changing to a certain image or something that i wanted mm-hmm. to have i think now I'm, maybe it's also a thing when you get older simply you're like accepting a bit more who you are what your style is and you don't care too much about what people think except except right now in adano he has his own style as well i mean he had the balls and to come by boat, by sailboat, cross the whole ocean, travel three months to get here to Yosemite. I didn't. I took a plane. I had other things in Belgium I wanted to do I, that were important for me. It's, I found a girlfriend as well that I really love. So, I mean, it was a really hard moment to, to leave her alone. I mean, these are like in the end, 
yeah, you're uh, we're all we're all different. We're all different, and you have to. It's it's very important to accept that, and and that's also what I wanted to show in that movie notes from the wall. You know, I didn't want to lie about yeah that, that I'm frustrated or something. It's on camera. Why why not just putting it in there? That's how it is. I mean, I see I see every day. I see people at the crack being frustrated. That's just how it is. I mean, you're frustrated because you want to reach a goal. It's at that moment. It's very important for you. It's okay, you know, to set the bar high, to scream a little bit. But I mean, of course, it shouldn't put the whole atmosphere at the crack down. You know, you shouldn't be dragging everyone down or like. It's okay to express yourself and then relativize it, um, relativate it a little bit. But I didn't want to lie in a movie. That's that's right. that's mainly my 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 <laughs> message. You know, I didn't want to make a hero movie or something. I mean, it turned out to be, you know, a thousand times more compelling. And, and I, I wonder about that a lot. You know, you're a professional climber now. Um, that was kind of the turning point, it sounds like, with that as well. A public speaker. Um, and, I, and I wonder about that a lot with, with sometimes with professional athletes of like why it is that certain folks don't want to, you know, show that kind of hard part of their life or their their failures or their weaknesses, even though. I think it just draws people to what you're saying even more so. I mean, because climbing is, you know, we're, we're all, if you're really in it, like I think our bullshit meters are very attuned and we are ready to dismiss things we see as fraudulent or not reality. And, um, and, you know, like I said, the film became extremely compelling, I think because of that. And, and I, I thought, you know, I've, I've watched a lot of media from that team and um, I, you know, I thought it was, one of the most compelling things I'd seen because of your role in that and, and the, the, the relationships between you guys. And, and that's just my opinion. And I, you know, it's not really a question, but uh, if you have any comment, further comment on that. Yeah, it's, I, I can see it's a lot of, it was a really, really different movie. I mean, it has a lot to do, not just with my role. I, I agree. It's, it's definitely, I've, I've managed there to really be myself and also communicate that in the movie, who I am. <laughs> So, like, not just jumping on, on, like, into their roles or their images, you know, because that's them. But it's also a fact that I, that Sean was having a lot of work on other movies. And he's like, here, I'll get all the images. Um, I want to make a movie from it because normally Sean's the editor of all their movies. But he's like, I don't have the time right now. So if you find someone, you can do it with someone else. And then I found like a, a good friend of us as well. He's uh, my age or a little bit younger, Guillaume uh, Lyon uh, from Belgium. He's a he's a climber and a, and a filmmaker. And uh, he was just like, oh yeah, I want to I want to do it. We had a conversation. We drank a coffee. I told him like the whole day, or even even I, I came back two days. I think almost two days. We were just talking, talking about the experience and talking, talking, talking. Then he watched all the images and he's like, man. This is so cool. We can make a very nice movie out of this. And um, in the next weeks, I went every week once, and we, we he asked me questions, and I just talked. <laughs> to, together, we brainstormed about how to show a unique story that's not about the performance only, but just about the human experience. And and and, and, and yeah, my role came came up in that. And then, of course, when I was talking, I was also reading my notes to remember like very intimate moments or something. So I was reading my notes to him and he's like, wow, this notebook is so nice, man. We should do something with it. And that's where it mm -hmm. comes from, notes from the wall. Right. Because it was his idea. I, I just used the notes to explain the story a little bit. And he's like, man, we should include that. 
that's really unique, actually. I mean, I don't know if it's unique, but I, I just like to take notes on my trips. Right now, with the down wall, I'll do the same, of course. <laughs> Every day is noted down in a little book. Um, well, let me ask you a little bit about the actual nuts and bolts of the climbing. I mean, it seems like you guys also, well, actually, let me say this. Whenever I see films, and it's, I mean, let's face it, it's also often those guys where you're free climbing in those kind of conditions. Like, that's where, you know, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm out, you know, I just like, <laughs> I don't, like, I do not have that in me to to climb that hard and try that hard in those kind of conditions. So um I mean it seems like a threshold of pain that you probably I don't know if you'd ever reached before in that same level day after day, but um it looks to be really, really difficult and painful. Had you ever encountered that kind of try hard in those kind of conditions before or was that new to you on that wall? For sure, trying hard in that kind of conditions and going through pain, I experienced there at that moment, for sure, the most. That was really, I don't think I had much uh, experience before that, that kind of style. I really remember the cold while we were working on those pitches. Um, and I think you see it in the movie as well, that my toes are, there's these little blue blisters. And afterwards, it took me two months to really be able to climb without pain in, in two toes, two small toes, actually. Because of the, the tight shoes and I'm twisting it in the crack, I might have like uh, like broke or, or, or how do you say it? Not breaking, but like twisted a, a, a toe when it was really frozen. Mm -hmm. But so I didn't feel it. And then um, there were two nights that I got back into the portal ledge and I, wow, the blood came back and it was so painful, but so painful. Like even Sean was like, whoa, oh shit, man, you're okay. You're okay. I like awfully fainted then i came back and it was it was really really bad and right now how many years five years later i still have two toes that are swollen <laughs> and if i'm in the cold they they get they get really bad they get really quickly cold and without any feeling um yeah i mean so, it yeah. seemed to be like a combination of damage from the climbing but also from frost nip you know exactly. approaching frostbite too so yeah, that yeah. It, I mean that was like when the toe scene was like I'm like I'm out, you know. I mean not yeah. like I had a yeah. trip planned or anything, but I was like, yeah, no, I'm not into that. That seems no. pretty rough. So not only that, because that was just stubbornness of me trying the moves on a on a static rope in the in the in the cold way too long instead of going back to the poor ledge and warm up a little bit and then and then try again. You know, I was just stubborn and I'm, I wanted to do that move and I wanted to know all these protections and. I just took too long on the rope, but the, the yeah, worst, yeah. like pain-wise, is is uh, is the cold when we did the pushes to go up to to the to the summit. We did like we tried three or four days, I think, or three or four times to go to the summit, and it didn't work. We always got shut down by really cold weather or or snowstorm again that we had to retreat back to the four ledges. But these moments were really tough. I think I, there was one pitch I. I I climbed for during 60 meters or something and I made a belay and Sean followed and I really thought like this is this is really bad you know I was just there focusing on my hands like shaking my hands and shaking my feet to get the the blood back in and then Sean came up and we had to really stay there a little bit like trying to move on this little platform before rappelling down we're like if we rappel down now there's really some damage on our feet you know 
yeah, so that was that was really tough, and there were there were more of those those moments. It's crazy. I sometimes I think I'm not gonna be able to do that anymore right now. <laughs> right. Maybe maybe if the stakes are high, but if I think back to it, it's it was a lot of suffering. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can imagine. And I mean, yeah. it's, some of it's depicted in the film, but it's you know I was talking about how I feel like you know this will be this you know obviously this sort of crux or crucible turning point experience when you climb because of the emotional the the you know maturity that you sort of gain from that um but i can only imagine that too that that level of suffering or that level of commitment you know you guys are out there in the middle of nowhere for so long you know can be drawn upon you know like this you're sitting in the calf you've got some ropes up on el cap like you know you're going to go up there for a few days like how bad is it going to seem when you have this this other experience stored away in your psyche to kind of draw upon, like I can do this because look what I did there and and, and survived or, or or you know was successful. That's really funny that you say that because I some I sometimes underestimate that that experience or forget all the other expeditions and all the build up experience I have. And sometimes I compare with others and like I have a really I have a really hard time empathizing. Like or being empathetic to to others that they think it's something is hard or something is a lot of work or just because of this build up experience. While mm-hmm. I was, I, if I really think back about my first multi pitches in in Squamish, the very first multi pitches I did were in Squamish, uh, not even in Europe. I remember I was suffering <laughs> on a seven pitch multi pitch. Like my feet hurt, my I was thirsty. I'm like. I remember the first day I prepared a two-liter bottle of water, and then my friend was like, "You're gonna take two liters on a one-day climb? Like it's way too heavy. Imagine bringing mm-hmm. four liters. Like both of us, like, yeah, I'm like, ah, no, I need to my two liters because if I go sport climbing, I also drink two liters, you know? Like I was very rigid, you know? Like, and I and I suffered so hard, and yeah, now now just a few nights on a wall here, it's just very, it's just fine." Um, Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm tired, and I'm glad to be down and sit in the cafe, drink a beer or a coffee in the morning, and eat some pancakes or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. It's so nice. You know, you've you've have spent a lot of time in North America, um, climbing Canada, climbing in the U.S. You know, you were introduced to trad climbing here. You know, you just said that you were introduced to multi pitch climbing in, in Squamish. So, tell me about um, some of your journeys here in North America, and maybe talk about comparing our community here to uh to the sort of european climbing scene um and what you get out of both uh because i i've also traveled in europe i've also climbed in several places in europe and um i enjoy like the differences and i know what i've kind of noted but yeah tell me about your travels a little bit in north america what your kind of favorite zones are and and what you like about about you know getting in a van and cruising around uh canada and the u.s yeah so um, or what you don't like <laughs> it would be interesting yeah no too. i I definitely, <laughs> I like uh, tra- <laughs> traveling in the van, like in every country, it doesn't really matter where. What I don't right. like, I don't know, it's maybe adapting to the to the grocery stores here. Cannot oh, find yeah. everything I need. <laughs> but no, no, now I know all the tricks. That's so funny. Right. <laughs> no, um, so my very first trip to the US uh, was in 2010. Uh, just after finishing my high school. So I was 18 years old and I came for 
for two months. I did one month in Squamish, so that's Canada. <laughs> and then I came. Then I flew to uh, Rifle to, to to Colorado to Denver, and I I went to Rifle for another month. And it's kind of weird. You have two months, and you just do two places, like one month Squamish, one month Rifle. And of all places, Rifle. Why why Rifle? Like it's it's just because it's a famous sport climbing area. And I was a sport climber. But just before that, I, I discovered some uh, some milda pitch climbing in Squamish. But I uh, had my mind still a little bit more on the sport climbing. And I actually didn't have a car. And it was really hard to travel or to get out, of, get away from rifle. And I really noticed how difficult it was without a car uh, to travel in the U.S. And after that trip, I came back home and I'm like, shit, I'm not, I'm not going to go study. I'm going to go work and I'm going to do another trip to the US. But this time I buy a van, I do it long and I go to all those places I wanted to see, but I couldn't see in the first place, in the first trip. So um, I went back home. I did whatever kind of job. I did mainly carpentry and stage building and that kind of stuff. And then in January 2011, I left for a six to seven month trip in the whole of us i bought a van in texas in waco things and i did the whole trip all the way up to the north in squamish and even the bugaboos so i passed by red rocks uh, in las vegas i passed by yosemite indian creek and seattle as well lake tahoe even of all places i went to index it's a very small place in, in, in near seattle trout creek squamish again yeah I don't know. I forget, I'm forgetting places. Bishop. The whole. I did the whole trip, and what I liked about this is the the community. You know, going from the south to the north, up to the south again, like following the weather, and this was for me really, really amazing. And then it was kind of funny because you have the polar sport climbing community, and you have tread climbers. It was a bit different at at that time. You know, they they go. Of course, they go to different places. Different, uh, different uh, vibes as well. Of course, the bullers, late sessions, and uh, the tread climbers. Very early, wake up. You know, waking up at four, four a.m., five a.m., and having a huge long day, and then two, two rest days with your head in the bear box here in Yosemite, eating every, whatever you can. Yeah, that was, uh, that was. There were both lifestyles I really loved. I really enjoyed. But the thing I liked the most about that seven-month trip is just, I don't know, the the easiness of like getting into your van and driving wherever you want. And that was for me as a 19-year-old, really, really, really new. Like it was just freedom. It was just a, a little boy's or girl's dream, you know. You just It's just pure, pure freedom, you know, like going in the van and climbing wherever, meeting people. Somehow I trusted everyone as well. I don't know. <laughs> now I'm maybe more critical with who I climbed. But that, that time it was just, I wanted to climb. I climbed with everyone I met. Um, yeah, the more people, the better. It was just just awesome. I really loved it. So actually that lifestyle of in the van and traveling around, I know it more from here, from in the US, than in, in Europe. Mm-hmm. I only discovered that kind of style later on. You know, you mentioned, I think sometime earlier where, you know, obviously you had uh, this motivation younger, you know, to, to climb the hardest grades, you know, to climb whatever, 9A, 9A plus. The typical kind of motivation of like, I just want to climb harder and harder things. And and I've always been curious about that because we're in this whole new generation of climbers that were literally like born almost in a climbing gym, you know. 
And it seems like climbing gyms have been here forever, but they really haven't. And we're getting that we're getting this wave of of folks who who came out of gyms and then turned their sights on not just outdoor sport climbing or outdoor bouldering, but turn their sights on on big roots and crack climbing and things like that. So can you think of a a, a moment or an era or a you know a trip or whatever where that switch was turned in your brain because it doesn't it's it's a hard switch to turn i think a, i feel like most sport climbers or most of these you know comp climbers gym climbers they they stay stuck in that for a really long time of like well i've climbed this grade i got to do this this next one or i've climbed this route you know now i have to go do la rambla and then and here in the states it's like i have to go do necessary evil right you know and they just get in this track and and not everybody throws the switch to be like, well, what about this whole other world? So do you, you know, can you think of an era or a time or, I mean, even some people have a specific moment when they, they did kind of have that switch get thrown or was it always there? No, no, not at all. I was for sure one of these kinds of like, I want to just go to the next level sport climbing. Like I said before, what Sean and Nico did, I, I knew it. I saw their movies. I thought it was impressive and crazy. But I wanted to just go and climb the next AT plus or the next 9A or the next 9A plus. So my big trip to the US, my very first one, like I said, instead of like going to some kind of thread climbing area, I went to Rifle of all places. I stuck with the hey, sport no, climbing. Don't bash it. That's, that's my home crag, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of that, actually, I, I don't want to interrupt your train of thought. I'll, I'll remind you what it was. But how the hell did you get from Denver to Rifle? Well, it's a very, very funny story. I like I was naive, man. I flew to Denver. I took a bus mm-hmm. to Boulder because I had mm-hmm. heard Boulder was the center of the universe. And I'm like the center of the universe of, for climbing. I thought it was going to be like in Squamish. There's this big campground where everyone goes. So I went to Boulder with the ID. There were like campgrounds and there's all kind of climbing around. Like just, but there's, it's, it's not, I mean, you have to drive a lot for, to find good stuff. It's just people, climbers living there. Like, I didn't understand. Right. But luckily, there was this one guy um, on the bus. Man, if he hears this podcast, he must laugh his ass off. That would be hilarious. But it was this one guy on the bus. I don't know his name anymore. And I asked him, like, he looked a bit younger. He looked a bit like a climber. I'm like, yeah, you can see climbers. I mean, back in the days, you could definitely see climbers from far away. So I'm like asking him like, hey, um, where, where is the main climber's campground or climber's parking lot in Boulder? And he looks at me like, oh my God, this guy doesn't know anything about climbing around here. <laughs> so he's like, oh, I'm sorry, man. I don't think there is a campground even or a climber's gather or something. And I mean, he was a climber, but not maybe not a 100% full-on climber. So he didn't know either, but he had climbing friends and contacts. So actually, he invited me to his home. He, he, minor, he invited me to his place, and there was another guy. And um, we had dinner in the night, and, and, and they're like, oh, we're going to find a, a solution for you to, to get you in contact with some more hardcore climbers that can take you out and stuff. And uh, the next morning, they were cutting, they were trimming wheat, and I helped them for, like, the whole morning trimming weed in exchange for a place to stay and everything. So that was my very first experience in the U.S., uh, as a nineteen, yeah, as a as an eighteen year old in Boulder, Colorado, trimming wheat with two guys I yeah, didn't know, searching for a climbing campground. So what happened? Who'd they hook you up with? 
they hooked me up with someone else living in Boulder where I stayed two or three days. And then there was another friend that came and I was going to drive to Rifle. And there was climbing. So I drove with him to Rifle. And I stayed in that campground in Rifle with my, in that campground in, on the BM, BMM land or something it's called. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I stayed there uh, far away in the valley with my little tent and all my stuff dirtbagging around, always hitching, like getting a lift to, to groceries. I even, my, my, my coffee machine was a, a Coke bottle that I had to cut the top off. It was a two liter one. At the end of the trip, it was like a half a liter one because it shrimped with the heat. I don't know how toxic <laughs> that was of drinking coffee out of that the whole time. But anyway, like this is the way I lived there for, for a month. And I, I tried, I asked people to go to another place and then they talked about Maple Canyon or something and but but in the end I never got there so anyway that was that's how I got into rifle <laughs> that's funny because I you know I live here I live right over by rifle and uh when you said you got somehow flew into Denver and somehow got to rifle even even I was just like god how would someone do that <laughs> yeah 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 no I, I live here <laughs> I I don't know I was uh and it's it's funny how would a European do that because because we have so much good sport climbing and you guys have so much good tread climbing here. Why wouldn't yeah. I? But it's exactly what you said before. I was just this young guy focused on sport climbing. I found myself some sport climbing goals in rifle and I couldn't get let, let go of them. I needed to do them, you know? So, um, so yeah, that's why I got stuck there. But then to come back to your question, what was the main switch? I honestly think... The main really switch to, to tread climbing was in was in Indian Creek. I went to Indian Creek with like a completely empty mind, completely open to learn, like curious, like full-on curiosity. It was actually a very, a very important moment for me. I was there for a month. It was an incredible group I was with. I loved the atmosphere in Moab as well, when we went for groceries and Oh, it was so American for me, you know, like these big trucks, like driving around. There is this um, old timer week as well in Moab that they're they're driving old timers the whole week through the main street of Moab, you know, and they they are like, come on, fire it up, fire it up, like to your van, you know. I'm like trying to fire it up with my van. <laughs> That's an automatic. I don't even know how to spin wheels with an automatic, but anyway. <laughs> like for me, it was the, the pure American experience there. Like, I don't know, I love the desert. I just love the desert. It has, it's such a different atmosphere and, 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 and energy than, than the mountains. And, and then the tread climbing, it was starting from, from zero again. I climbed 80, what is that, uh, 14B at that time. I think I've done, I, th- I had done a 14C as well. And I don't know, it went, it was just, it was just incredible to start off with 11A again, or even even not 10A, like trying 10A and my, my hands were completely burned, you know, like I had burn mark everywhere from the jamming. It was so difficult and I was really ethical. I didn't want to try hand jam gloves or, or, or tape my, my hands. I'm like, I'm not going to tape my hands. That's for weak persons, you know, like, so I have, I still have these huge scars on my hands from, from uh, 12 years ago in Indian Creek. <laughs> So, um, yeah, for me, that point, I don't know, I learned something new. And then after Indian Creek, I went to Yosemite. And in Yosemite, I, I don't know, I did the very first of these multi-pitches, Astroman and, and the West Phase of El Cap. And I did Free Blast and a half, half a part of Free Rider. 
I never did one of the like big routes on LCAP on that trip. Uh, yeah, that was that was really when I made the switch. And I thought like, wow, this is really something I love and I want to get good at, you know, in climbing off weights, in climbing finger cracks and team cracks. Uh, yeah, that, trip main, that same trip at the end, I tried Cobra crack quite a lot. It was a big switch. And um, I think this trip to the US was what made me switch. Because, of course, there are so much good places for thread climbing and mulder pitching. But there is another thing that made me switch as well. And that was a bit deeper inside of me. That was afterwards in 2012. Um, my trainer, like I had a trainer from, from when I was uh, 14 years old, 13 to 14 years old, uh, until I was 18. And I made my two, two first trips to, to the U.S., and he, he died of cancer in uh, 2012. And he was on my side my whole adolescence uh, period, you know. So from, from 13 years old to 18, he was, he was like always at my side, you know, as a, as a very, like a personal coach, my best friend, my trainer. He picked me up at school. We went to the crack together. We went training together. And he always said like, man, you should go and try to do these things as well, you know. So in my head, I, it was it was also, and he also wanted to learn how to tread climb and everything, and he never could. And in my head, it was some kind of like realizing a dream of him as well, or I, I don't know, like trying something new and yeah, exploring, discovering like the van life. I mean, we talked about it so much without, yeah, without doing it together. You know, we were he had a job, I was going to school as a high school kid. We trained a lot for the European European Youth Cups, for the European competitions. Yeah, but we talked and we dreamed about these things. And he's also like, oh, what Sean and Nico does, man, you should go climb with them, you know. And I was like, wow, me climbing with those guys. That's that's crazy. Jorn, what are you saying, you know? <laughs> His name was Jorn. I don't know. As soon as I had to say goodbye from him, I was like, okay, I'm I'm just going to go for, for this climbing life, you know, like full on. We've been working on it so much, so many years. He's been investing so many time and, and energy and friendship in, in me. And I think he got, he got a lot back from it as well. I think he enjoyed, I mean, I'm sure he enjoyed it as well, you know, because we, I mean, he was double my age. Like imagine like I'm 30 now that I drag along a kid 13 years old <laughs> in Belgium from one climbing gym to the next, from one country to the next for competitions, always with him, always trying to, support him having calls at night um, talking about plans and projects and so for me just this this guy has been really important for me you know this this relationship yeah I think at that moment when I made my two trips and then afterwards he died for me it was like okay I continued this lifestyle full on I want to go for it with him in my mind and I still climb right now on the downhill I still climb with this little cordelette, this little piece of rope on my harness. Many people are laughing like, what, what are you always climbing with this thing? You never use it. It's just from him, you know. It was his rack, his, his, his um, quick draws were on it. It's a, a simple thing. It's like a little, uh, how do you call this? Uh, talisman uh, that I'm always dragging along. Yeah, and I think this whole switch there or his dreams and what we talked about and then suddenly I had the freedom and the possibility to do these things. He motivated me to do it. He was actually the one who said, like, if you can't find a partner to go to the US, just go on your own. You can do it, man. You're 18, but I, I believe you can do it. You can buy a van. You can work for the money. You have, you're responsible enough. But without this person, I, 
not sure if I if I would have. <laughs> I think my path would have looked a lot different. Yeah. All right, folks, thanks for listening, and thanks to Siba for getting that done. Professional style, doing it. And though the interview didn't actually talk about the breadth of his entire climbing career, which we rarely do on the Cast, I don't like to just go down there and talk and list things that, that, the, that the folks have done. I decided to use that climb and that film as a framing piece to talk about his life. However, in the last few years since the climb in Patagonia, the guy has done an amazing amount of stuff, actually, and before that as well. And the stuff he's done since is amazing. And, and the thing I like about Siba's style is that there's uh, a lot of adventure in it. He's not just ticking things because he's supposed to do the next hardest thing, going places, putting up new routes just to see what's going to happen. Good style, good attitude, a lot of adventure. And that's what I like to see. And since through podcast time travel, you probably, and since through podcast time travel, you're probably listening to this after Siba got done trying the Dawn Wall. I don't know what happened. What happened? Can you tell me? Can you come from the future and tell me what happened? Because nobody knows right now. And there's a little doubt, a little humility in there. So that's a good adventure. We'll find out in the future. In the future. In the future. Okay. Stop bugging me about the Taps episode. It's in the can. It's recorded. It's out next. Save your emails and your messages. It's coming. And don't forget to check your knots. I gave my love a chicken that had no bones. I gave my love a story that had no end. I give. Sorry.